Welcome to Five to Thrive, five strategies to equip and empower educators, parents, and students to thrive. And here are your hosts, Dr. Rhoda and Professor Marty. Welcome back. In today's episode, uh, Dr. Rhoda and I are really excited. This is the first time that we're having a presenter who was a former student of ours, uh, a proud graduate of Wisconsin Lutheran College, uh, Corbin Beersack. And I'm going to turn it over right to Corbin because, I mean, he was so involved here on campus doing so many good things, and he's never stopped making a difference. So, Corbin, just if you would, wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Greenfield, Wisconsin. Um, I attended Wisconsin Lutheran College here and graduated in 2015 with double majors in special education and elementary education. I was a member of the, the baseball team here, and one of my favorite memories is I was able to connect my part-time job while I was in college of doing line therapy with um, kiddos with autism and the baseball team. So we did a home runs for autism baseball camp, and that was just a fun, inclusive clinic that we would do um, each summer. And then I currently am a adjunct professor here at, at WLC, and then I'm a special ed teacher at Swanson Elementary in Elmbrook. And I also am a part-time coach here on the baseball staff, too. So I just, I can't say no to, you know, just helping out in the community and staying with my connections. I don't know if the guy sleeps at all, right? (laughs) He doesn't right now because you also have a brand new daughter. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, she keeps us up at night, too. So sleep is limited, but I enjoy what I do. So, So maybe just to preface this, you know, Corbin could speak on special ed for quite some time. Uh, So please feel free, audience, if you have additional questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And we certainly can get those questions to Corbin. And and he's the type of person who who he is just always sharing of himself and the information that, that he's gained. Yeah, as as Professor Marty said, we are thrilled to have you here, Corbin. Thanks for joining us. Very, very proud of you. You are using your God-given gifts and serving people, and that's just a beautiful thing to watch. First question. So the special education process and the IEP document is written through the scope oftentimes of a deficit-based or disability-related scope, right? And sometimes families can be overwhelmed with the amount of information, especially when the majority of it is showing information on how the student compares to grade level or age level peers, that can be very challenging. So what is it? What is important for parents and teachers to keep in mind in this process? What advice would you have or insights? Yes, well, the, the document and IEP, a lot of it is, like I said, it's like Dr. Um, Willie said, it's a deficit-based, disability-related needs are things that we discuss. So for me, I always try to elaborate on that student's strengths. What are their gifts? Mm-hmm. What are things that they excel at? And, and kind of start from there. So what when we have that IEP meeting, I always let the entire team just kind of share, you know, what are some highlights of the students' days? What are some, you know, funny moments, some things that they're really good at? Um, and then from there, we kind of just talk about, okay, these are the, the lagging skills the student has, and how can we build that student up to um, kind of get towards their, their age-level peers? That is so very important. You know, uh, in the Psalms, King David talks about, I, I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and he knit us together in our mother's womb. And... When you think about it, every single one of us has things that we're not really good at, that we're disabled to do, right? That we're not good at doing. And we find ways to focus on our strengths and manage the things that aren't aren't so strong. And so, like, what's an example of a student that you have seen that just really, I'll put you on the spot here, so you don't have to mention names, but just what's an example of a gift that you've seen in a student that just really, you know, was, was a blessing to see and witness? 
Yes. Um, I don't mind being put on the spot. Um, there's a, a student that I have that he struggles with um, executive functioning, self-regulation. There's a couple of behavior incidences we have per week, uh, each week with him. And one thing I really wanted to highlight to his parents is he's really compassionate. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of other students that I work with with um, pretty severe special needs. And he's always the first one to open the door or to help them, assist them. So, um, you know, even though we talk about, you know, the, the different behavior incidences we might have during the school day, I always highlight those moments that he just, he has just that a big heart and just wants to include everyone in. Yeah. So that's one of the students that I just, I, I love mentioning those stories to his parents because like, yes, we're working on self-regulation, things like that, but some of those skills that he has, like those are God-given and you yeah. can't teach those. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how that'll serve him in, in his life, right? And so what I'm hearing from you is it's so very important to look for, be on the look for the things that are encouraging and positive and not just the things that can be challenging. And, and that's regardless of if you have students that have struggles or not, right? I mean, we yeah. all have struggles to some degree, but yeah. And so what's challenging for me, Corbin, is there are so many acronyms in, in, in special ed. It's like a new language for me. And I'd imagine um, if I'm a parent and, and my child is diagnosed through an IEP, um, what are some things that that are different yet moving forward? Like, so if, if the audience has, has, has a child and they're like, well, what actually happens then? What, 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 what does? Sure. So it, it depends what the student qualified for. So there's, um, there's a process for an evaluation that a team kind of does some, a diagnostician and other members of the team are going to do some, you know, look at certain data, um, whether it's, the student, say the student's qualifying for reading. There's a certain process in which the student has, we have to decide if the student has a disability in reading. So they have to be a certain um, benchmark below their peers. And then from there, there's a valuation process. The parents have the right to determine if they want their son or daughter to have, to receive special ed services. And then if the student qualifies, what happens from there is um, they have received specially designed instruction. So if, for ex the example with the student, they qualify for reading, then I might do 15 to 30 minutes a day in reading instruction with you know an evidence and research-based intervention that our district offers. So it's it's not so much that a, a lot changes, it's just who is providing that specially designed instruction. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how did you get involved? How did how did special ed get on your heart? What's your story for that? Or um, I, I was raised um, with a, pretty much with, from the moment I was born, I have a, um, a godmother who, uh, has Down syndrome. She uh, passed away in 2013. But my dad's sister, my auntie Lori, she's the she was born in 1966, mm -hmm. um, and 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 during that time, special ed just wasn't what it is today. Mm -hmm. So she, my grandpa, coached Special Olympics for over 40 years. So I was just immersed in the uh, you know disability um, the community. So I was just I uh, she's my passion area, and I've always just wanted to give back to the community because she's just she's impacted me in so many different ways that it's the least I can do is just to give back to people with disabilities. So big picture, just think of the gifts that your aunt had that influenced you. Mm -hmm. And it's it's totally shaped the trajectory of your life Absolutely. and how you're now serving other people. Yeah, wow, beautiful to hear. And so serving other people, you obviously are working with those special ed students that are entrusted to you. When those students are, are in... Um, an inclusive classroom. Do you interact with the other students, or are you solely focused on that that uh, the student that you're working with? How does that how does that play out? 
My goal always is, I call it to be a chameleon. You know, I want to get to know all the students and I, I want to try to work with everyone, get to know them. I'm present at recess, I'm present in the hallways, uh, just because I don't want to be the person that the student doesn't look forward to working to and, and to just call out the person's name, say, hey, we're going to go do some reading in the hallway. Like the student's confidence is just going to shoot down. Mm -hmm. So for me, I always try to make sure I facilitate the classroom and work with you know, the students and meet my minutes that way. But I'm making sure that I make connections with the other students so that way I'm seen as a teacher in the building that works with all the kids and not just specific students. I sometimes get the question from parents, and oftentimes it's especially with their first child. Uh, with that first child, you oftentimes don't know what you don't know. What's appropriate age levels for, for what? What are, the, what are the benchmarks that my child should be meeting? If parents don't really know what is quote-unquote normal, you know, if they have concerns that their child may have some sort of delay, what advice do you have for them? When and who should they reach out to? How does that process work? Yes, the, the first thing that I would say is just don't don't panic. You know, all students, we've, we've noticed even, in, you know, in elementary school that they develop at different rates. They might not meet certain benchmarks, but that doesn't mean that that student won't, you know, catch up to their, their mm -hmm. age level peers. So the first thing I would just say is don't panic. Just because they're not, you know, developing right now where they technically, quote unquote, should be, that doesn't necessarily mean they have uh, a disability. And the first person I would reach out to, especially if they're in an elementary school, like let's say kindergarten, just reach out to the kindergarten teacher and say, hey, like, have you noticed anything in my son or daughter that is, you know, maybe below where they should be? Mm -hmm. And then kind of from there, the school psychologist is a good resource. Um, she's the first person that I would kind of, in my building we have a she, so he or she mm -hmm. um, would just, I would reach out to them too and say, hey, I'm very, um, I just want to learn more about the special education process. I, I think my son or daughter might have a disability in this area, and she would, he, he or she would be a great person to um, just kind of give you the great resources you need. Mm -hmm. And if the referral process is what we need for a special education, that person will um, kind of direct you in the in the right direction. And if it the deficit is in an academic area, um, right now there's in education we have response to intervention. It's mm -hmm. a intervention process in which a student that is lagging in an academic area receives rounds of interventions in that subject area to kind of determine if they have a disability. So if they go through multiple rounds of, of not meeting progress that they should be, then the referral process kind of happens and then the student potentially could qualify for um, special education services. So now you mentioned don't panic, right? It can be yeah. a little scary, a little intimidating. Um, oftentimes when we're a little nervous about something, we avoid it and we put it off and just say, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to broach it. I'll just, uh, it'll just, get, let's hope it gets better. Right. Is there an advantage towards early detection oftentimes? Like, is it one of those things that just, you know, say a prayer, go in, don't, don't panic, ask questions, or if you're concerned, just, you know, go ahead and delay. It's okay. You'll be able to catch up. Like, well, what, what do you, should you, as soon as you start wondering, should you start asking these questions or is it okay to wait a while? I, I think it's okay to, to wait a while. The The biggest advice that I would give families if they're kind of on the, you know, have their child on the radar for potentially having a disability is the one thing I've noticed as students that eventually qualify and are on my special caseload is the confidence is low. So the biggest thing that I would recommend is find ways at home to just build confidence. Say the student struggles in math. Find ways to make math fun at home. Go to the grocery store and, you know, count up you know with yeah. money and things like that yeah. if it's reading put closed captioning on the tv during the movie time or you know find engaging books have them um listen to you read things like that the biggest thing i would do is just try to 
um, incorporate ways to make that subject area fun because you might also see some progress when they're having fun and enjoying what they're doing. Like success breeds success. So yes. as they start having those little victories, then they're more confident for Absolutely. the next day. It's awesome advice. Right? Yeah. Now, now mm -hmm. you know why we, what, just one of the reasons why we brought him on. <laughs> um, so, so Corbin, I mean, parents, they, they drive their kids or their kids take a bus to school. They drop them off. They really don't see what's going on with the inner workings within the building. So um, what, what would be for you maybe something challenging that they may not realize um, and then maybe something that is just really, really re rewarding for you? Uh, I always start with the positive, so I'll start with the rewarding one. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is is just being able to build confidence in kids. Um, that's one of the biggest successes that I and just things that I is very rewarding for me. There's um, a student I can think of right now who I, I still service, and when I started teaching him in first grade, he he just avoided avoided <laughs> reading books. You know, if I would come to work with him, he would slide his book bin off to the side, and now during free time, he's reading books for fun. You know, so I just to see him just kind yeah. of just blossom and reading and yeah. just actually enjoy books. Now, there was a time when I, I went to go work with him. He's like, you know, Mr. B, I didn't finish my book yet. Can I finish this <laughs> chapter? I'm like, dude, hey, go finish that book. I'll, I'll be waiting over here. Um, so just story, just things like that. Confidence is something that really takes a long time to build. And to see kids build that confidence is just very rewarding. Um, the challenges, I, I just think the biggest thing is, the, the one thing that I always try to, to leave every conversation with a parent is that I have, in our building, has the best interest for that child. Mm -hmm. And there are decisions that we have to make that are very difficult, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is to set every student up for success. And for me, you know, my current case, so this year, I have a lot of students that have, you know, fragile medical needs and, and some severe behaviors and Academically, some are a lot lower than their peers. So for us, it's trying to make sure that we have the best team in place to help that student succeed. So I think that's just the biggest challenge for me is just I always try to make sure that everyone's on the same page. And for me, I'm a people pleaser. Like I'm trying to make sure everyone's happy. And if, uh, I can sense that a student or a, a family is kind of on the edge or unsure. I always try to go above and beyond to make sure that communication is clear, that, that we're on the same page and they at least know that you know we have the best intentions for their uh, son or daughter to exceed. Beautiful. For our fellow teachers out there, you know, it's our privilege as teachers to get to meet a child where they are at and then bring them along to help them develop to their full God-given potential. Sometimes it might be kind of challenging to figure out where a kid is at and then what next steps are. What What do you do? How do you, how do you navigate that when you're like, I'm not really sure how to best help this kid right now? This, this happens to me quite a bit because a lot of times, you know, this year I'm in third grade and there's students that qualify halfway through the year that mm -hmm. I always try to reach out to previous teachers or to family members and say, mm -hmm. okay, what works, but what doesn't work? You know, there's obviously a reason why the student, you know, has lagging skills in certain areas. So I kind of want to get to know, okay, what are some things we've tried that aren't successful? Awesome. But let's find out what's been successful and yep. I'll find every which way to, to incorporate that into my instruction. Um, a lot of students I have are, are very active and busy. So for me, when we're working on writing letters, I bring out a salt tray or I'll whip up some shaving cream and put that on the table. Just ways to get their body moving and learning. Yeah. And they're engaged. They're excited to do it. So for me, I guess it's just, you know, for me, I read that IEP document to see what are the strengths, things that they enjoy. And if there's something that doesn't work, I probably won't try that because it's been proven not to work before. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you incorporate fun, right? Yes. Like who doesn't want to 
you know, so, and then once that, that, that builds a trust and then you start learning more and more about what they enjoy, what they don't, what motivates them, what doesn't. Yeah. Excellent. And, and so as a parent going into this, is it better for them to go directly to uh, the special education teacher or should they research it at home online with, with how to help their child or is it a balancing act? What would you what would you suggest? I know, I know if you go to the doctor, they're like, uh, you know, kind of stay away from the internet initially just because it will tell you whatever you want it to tell you. Yes, I, I think it's definitely a balancing act. Um, there's a lot of things that I do, and I always incorporate this in my classroom because a lot of times there's strategies and things that I do that help all students. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of times, like for instance, I just made a, a Google website for working on certain math multiplication facts, and I showed all the classes I work in this you know they have it on their Google website now so I always I think just kind of reach out to the classroom teacher first figure out you know what are some things that I can do to help my child succeed what are some things that are really working but I think at the end of the day it goes down to that confidence piece and just trying to find ways to make those subjects fun because once a student does you know perceives that subject to be difficult and challenging there's going to be so many times that they're going to shut down and it's going to be really hard to um, to make growth that growth that way. Mm -hmm. You're at a fun fun time in your career. You've accomplished a lot in a few years since graduating. I'm thinking you finished your master's. You're mm. already teaching in a program as an adjunct. You're doing your full-time gig. You're being a dad. You're being a coach. Lots of fun stuff. What's next for you? What are you excited about in the future? Poss I mean, I just, like like Dr. Willis, I just finished my master's degree. For me, I just, I, I enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. I, I love the school that I'm at. It's a great, just family environment. A goal of mine has always been able to teach at the school that my my son or daughter goes to. Mm -hmm. So my little baby Brooklyn, I'm I'm hoping that I'll be able to. We live in the neighborhood that all the Swanson mm -hmm. kids go there, so Brooklyn will eventually go to um, to Swanson. So that's kind of been a goal of mine. So I kind of want to do that, and then from there, wherever education takes me. I know I love the field. I love working with kids. I love impacting um, kids with special needs. So any way to keep me involved with the with the students, but. Um, I'm just open to all possibilities, but still want to kind of, you know, dive deeper into the teaching role and kind of develop from there. Yeah. So, so our goal in this podcast is to equip parents and educators to help young people thrive. You've offered some excellent insights today. Uh, is there something we haven't covered that you would like to share with our audience to help parents and educators help young people thrive? I think the biggest thing is is just education right now has changed so much since you know looking now where it's it's March you know 2021 in a year's time just to think of how much <laughs> education has changed and just know that us teachers you know we're we're in it with you guys we're 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 here working hand in hand um so let's just lean on each other to help you know help all these all these students kind of grow but the biggest thing that I I could just recommend is to to help build confidence to stay positive um, find ways to make learning fun again. I think it, it's it's amazing to see, you know, at least for my family, we've been able to to, to come even closer through the, the pandemic and, and just enjoy that family time. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing I can recommend is just to to love your kids. You know, we love your kids too. Um, and anytime you guys have any questions or anything to reach out to your teachers, just understand that we have the best intentions and want them to, su to succeed too. Your students sure are blessed to have you, as are we. Our goal in Five to Thrive is to equip and support educators and parents as they help each child develop to his or her full God-given potential. So here are five key takeaways from today's episode with Corbin. Number one, a special education, boy, it keeps changing as you heard him speak repeatedly. So just be aware it, 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 it's going to continually change. 
Number two, uh, when we look at students, as Corbin said, they each develop differently uh, at different rates. So keep that in perspective. Number three, uh, you heard Corbin say how important it is to build confidence uh, in the child. Number four, have fun. And number five, building those relationships is so important for a student's success. And lastly, we have a challenge for you. If you'd like to, to email us uh, a question, uh, Corbin has agreed to, to answer any questions that you have. If it helps you, please make use of that. Thanks for taking the time to learn with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions, challenges, or successes you want to share, please let us know through the comment section of our website. May your week be blessed.